I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Groves, and I have a, another very special guest on the podcast today. I actually was just listening to her on another episode yesterday, and she is quite literally a perfect fit for this podcast. So I am super excited to have the CEO of House of Wise, Amanda Goats. Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's gets, but it's uh, we get goats a lot. My kids want a farm with three goats so they can name them like Hadley goats and Lincoln goats. So we get it all the time. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Say hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah. And you have a really cool story because it's something that I resonate a lot with as a young female wannabe entrepreneur in the corporate world right now. And I know just from listening to your story and doing some research that that's been your path, but there's been a lot of detours along the way and some failures. So I want you to take my audience back to the very beginning. I know you grew up in the Midwest. Give a little bit of background. Was entrepreneurship always something that you felt was in your DNA or what really sparked the direction that you've gone on the last two-ish years? Yeah. Well, I grew up in a very small town, 800 people, literally in the middle of nowhere. Like my town has like one blinking stoplight. You have to drive 30 minutes to get to like the closest Walmart, like very rural. Neither of my parents went to college. So I'm first generation college grad. But my dad, when he, they got married at like 18, 19, my dad has an incredible story. He fought through a lot of adversity and he started a plumbing business and that he grew that. Um, and he's like the local town plumber and heating and cooling. And then he started to get bigger jobs and city, like bigger towns nearby. But for me watching him have autonomy and control over his life every Thursday morning, he went golfing. Um, he coached the high school uh, golf team. And he was always there coaching my little league and the balance that he had, I felt like he was in charge of his own schedule. Now he also worked his ass off and sometimes he'd get called out in the middle of the night, et cetera. But for the most part, I do think it was in my DNA. And then I went on into high school uh, you know, coming from a very rural town and knowing that you like want to go to college and you want to, you know, go do big things. It was interesting. I had a very influential person in my life. His name was Mr. B. He has since passed away, but he would, when I would finish like a test early because I was bored, he would like bring me into his office and I would start to become kind of like helping him run the school and come up with ideas for the school. And then that got me into student council. And then I was on the state board of student council, running all the student councils for the state of Illinois. And so there was like all of these things that slowly kept like pushing me to realize that there's no one path. Like, yes, I was in high school, but I had an office and I got to go there and, and like talk about other things. Um, and so then after college, I still had a very, very interesting personal life. I got married at 19. So there was still some of that kind of Midwest 
subconscious narrative there. Yeah. Um, I was engaged at 19. So I got married my junior year of college. And from there went on, worked at Ernst & Young, corporate career, like totally doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I worked at Ernst & Young for a few years. That took me to New York City. And then I did a complete 180. And I managed a celebrity wedding planner's brand across all of his different things. He had like a TV show, he had a book deals, and then he was also a wedding planner. And so I, in that role, it's kind of like a mini CMO type role, but I also planned over a hundred celebrity weddings, which was kind of the craziest thing of my life yeah. because I got to travel around the world, which I hadn't been on a plane until I was 18. Um, so it was like a whole new chapter of my life, which allowed me a, to learn a lot of the soft skills that I think have made me successful later in life. So looking back, like people are like, how did you get to where you are? It was the most non-linear path. But when you look back, I see how each of the, the skills that I have now were kind of polished and shaped through each of these roles. But from there, I saw these huge opportunities in the wedding industry. And so I launched a tech startup after that. So this is actually my second company. I had a tech startup before, did that for a few years. On paper, it failed. Like I had like you you go through any like founder 101 journey and it's like co-founder conflict, uh can't raise capital, non-technical founder, like everything that like I was I could have done wrong. I did, but I was in an accelerator program uh, that it was called Startup Leadership Program, SLP. And they really taught you how to be a founder. They didn't care as much about your business idea. They cared about how to prepare you emotionally, mentally to be a founder because it's really, I don't know if we can cuss, but it's really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, and I... I did that. And I was at a female pitch night one night trying to get some kind of capital so I could bring my CTO on full time because he was just doing it nights and weekends. And it was at The Knot, which is you know the global leader in all things weddings. And the founder of The Knot was on the panel and she heard me pitch and she said, let's grab coffee tomorrow. So I grabbed coffee. She did not know this, but I had just found out I was pregnant with my second child and she offered me a position at the knot and said, listen, we're doing this. We're solving the same problem. We have hundreds of engineers, you know, all the things. And I was like, I went home and I had a little identity crisis and I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And so shut down the company, went and worked for the knot and did that for five and a half years through COVID. Um, but I, and I was the first person to say, I will never be a founder again. It was so hard. I, it failed. I'm not good at it. Like all the things, right? But then I found myself kind of at the height of my career, leading a massive brand, an incredible team under me. Um, and I had three kids under the age of four at this time. And I just filed for a divorce. So I was going through kind of this crazy, crazy personal journey as well. And for me, I had never touched anything cannabis related, but yet the society as a whole still celebrates like mommy wine culture. Yeah. And I, 
I turned to kind of CBD and microdosing THC out of pure desperation, but I like hit it. And also in that trial of trying to find a brand that was for me or a product that worked for me, I came across a lot of really bad products, some that would make my eyes bloodshot, some that made me insanely groggy. And here I am a mom of three toddlers and a corporate career. And I'm like, I cannot find something that I trust. And this was during kind of what they call the green rush, where everybody was literally white labeling whatever they could get their hands on. And so there were just so many products that were probably all coming from similar places, but you had no clue. So I started to get really, really nerdy and was like, well, how would you make a very high end like product that I would use as a mom, as a, you know, uh, an executive is just like a high functioning woman that yeah. can't slow down. And so for me, I'm the kind of an all or nothing personality. So I got connected with seed scientists and chemists. And I started to learn about, you know, the CB1 and CB2 receptors in our brains and just all the things. And then COVID hit and I had the idea of House of Wise, but I was like, no, I, I, I got to get through my divorce. My divorce was not finalized yet. Now we're in a fucking pandemic. Like there's no way I'm going to start this company. But then I saw all of my friends just struggling, all my colleagues struggling, just women in general were just hit with the insurmountable, like invisible labor that let, led to 2 million women leaving the workforce. So I left my job and started House of Wise from my COVID house. It was a temporary house where I was homeschooling my three kids uh, and started it out of my garage and have since raised two rounds of funding. And now we, you know, are, are growing and doing the thing. It's every interview and every person that I talk to. And I think there's a, a lot of important things that you just touched on in that short story. But I think the first thing that I kind of want to touch on here is that there's a lot of businesses that do fail. And there's a lot of fear, I think, when you're becoming an entrepreneur, especially when you're young. Will you be specific on certain things that you learned about yourself and professionally when that business failed? And now that you have a successful business, looking back, what that taught you? Because I think one of my favorite things you said in your in interview is that the best way to learn is by failing. Like that's the best way to learn. It's not reading a book, it's by actually doing. So I want you to elaborate on that concept a little bit more because I think it's super important for people to understand. Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is, Second time founders are so much better. Like the things that you don't get stressed out about the second time around, because you just know it's not that big of a deal, or you know you'll figure it out, or you've removed, you've already failed. And so you've removed, like, oh, I was okay. And, and so you know that the worst case scenario is still not that bad, right? So that's number one. Number two, I, you know, I, I speak a lot about, you know, marketing and brand building and how and how to launch a company. And I see consumer mentality and then creator mentality. And consumer mentality is they're just trying to consume all the information in hopes that one day 
They will have the perfect alignment of timing, resources, idea, market, and launch it. Creator mentality is I'm going to go create the right time. I'm going to go create the demand. And I'm going to learn and fail along the way. But that's the difference between successful people. Because the, the, the fun thing about being a creator is it is this amazing snowball effect of once you take one step, even if it's in the wrong direction, you learn and then you shift slightly. And, but the whole thing is you're moving forward, even if it's a slight you know, shift to the right and then shift to the left, but you're still progressing forward where so many people are standing still. And eventually doors open, momentum happens, but that can even mean the smallest step forward. And so for me, I was terrified. I was like, no fucking way. I'm going to launch a company. It's, it's a pandemic. It's like, whatever. But I was like, I'm going to take a step forward. And that meant one conversation with somebody I knew in, in, you know, the VC world, right. They liked the idea and they were like, you should talk to this person. Okay. I'll follow that breadcrumb. So I talked to that person and I didn't have a perfect pitch deck. I didn't have, you know, a product even. I was just talking about an idea and some headwinds and tailwinds that I saw. So like a step doesn't have to be a pixel perfect landing page to present to somebody. And I think so many people get fearful of what they put out into the world as a reflection of themselves. But the reality is that even just the idea of creation reflects so amazing because it's the idea of being curious and wanting to improve and grow. And so I would just say like, one, know that investors look for second time founders and there's tons of people out there that have failed, but they keep going because they learned. And then imagine if you stopped playing basketball because like I was a basketball player, but like you had one bad game or the very first time you did it, like no one's good at anything the first time they do it. Yeah. And so you can't just stop something because you failed at it. And then the second thing is understand and check yourself if you're in consumer mentality or creator mentality. I do think there's a balance. And I the biggest piece of advice that I've always gotten is like, just keep moving exactly what you're saying. Like keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep taking a step in the right direction. You don't always know what that end goal is going to be, but if you keep moving, it's all going to funnel in around you. And I want you to take the snowball effect a step further because I think you're really onto something there because a lot of people think that I ha it, they're working too hard or what about this? And I think it's analysis by paralysis, like where you're either consuming too much content or not going in the, in the right direction. So you're not creating that snowball. But I think whether the steps are A, B and C in three different directions, they're all going to come together at some point. And I liked your phrase when you said the snowball, even if you tried to stop it, it wouldn't. And I think that's another really important thing for people to keep in mind is that when it's the right thing, it's going to keep moving, even if you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. So take that mindset a little bit further for the audience out there. Yeah, well, so I'll, I'll 
keep going with what happened with House of Wise. So it's yeah. like one conversation turned into a potential investor. And, and then that investor connected me to these seed scientists. Those seed scientists sent me to these chemists that could help me with formulas. I was like, okay, so now I have somebody that can help me with the formulas. And I had already thought about, I want sleep, sex, and stress as my first three product lines, because those are like the foundation for women. And also there's a lot of stigma around talking about the fact that we have need help in these areas. Um, and also misconceptions around what helps us and what hurts us in those areas. So I was like, I know I want to do this. So, okay, that conversation led to chemists, told the chemists about those three things, told them what kind of, you know, ingredients I was thinking about, told them the, the like it needed to be organic and plant-based and all natural and all the things they, that led them to send me some, you know, lab tests and some product and, I was like, wow, this actually is really good. And I gave it to some friends and I was like, listen, I don't know if I'm going to do this, but like, tell me if you like, you know, something like this formula and people gave me great feedback and they were like, that was the best night's sleep I've ever had. And I was like, okay. So then I was like, well, what would I call it? And like, what would I like, what would it look like? And then all of a sudden what happens is there comes this like amazing tipping point where something that was like a seed of an idea that there's a beautiful book, a children's book. If, if there's any parents listening, it's called, or just anyone should get it. It's called, what do you do with an idea? And so it's, it's very synonymous to what I'm about to say, but it's this little, this little seed. Um, and it's about this little boy and this little like seed egg looking thing keeps following him around and he keeps ignoring it and ignoring it. And, and everybody's making fun of the fact that he is this little egg thing following him around. Then one day he decides to give it a little attention and then it gets a little bigger and then he gives it a little bit more attention and it gets bigger and bigger. And then eventually he gives it so much attention that it turned into this insane, amazing thing that ended up changing the world. But the same thing happened for me where the more and more attention I gave my idea, the more and more I wanted to give it attention because it kept growing and eventually it blossomed into this thing that I saw was helping people. And so it's this beautiful feedback loop, right? You, you want to give it more and more attention when you see positive reinforcements happening. And also, I think another important thing that you touched on there is like listening to customers' feedback and mm -hmm. adjusting. And if you're trying it on family and friends and they're like, hey, this is an idea, there's usually a good chance that you're onto something. And I do think on the flip side, you hear a lot of people that the people closest to you might not always be supportive. And I know that's happened to me in my personal life, even launching this podcast and people are like, why would you ever do that? It's not going to be this. You're not going to be successful. And so I think there's kind of two two sides of that. Well, I have thoughts about that. I have so many thoughts about that because the people who benefit from you staying exactly who you are, are the ones that are going to limit your growth. 1000. Right. So you cannot allow people who knew the 1.0 version of you to dictate when you become 2.0. And for me, that was a very, very hard learning curve um, because 
as you grow, you, you have to surround yourself with people that match that growth. And I'm talking from like, like someone who got divorced to, you know, growing out of friendships and ending friendships, which are sometimes even harder than the romantic ones, Agreed. but also family. It's, I think a lot of us are breaking a lot of generational narratives or traumas, um, that have been handed to us. And I think step one, if you find yourself in those positions is really, really acknowledge what is actually yours versus what has been given to you. Give an example. I I like Um, this track. Yeah. So uh, I'll give, let's, let's do personal first then we can do professional, but like I was handed and I didn't realize this, that my identity came from my relationship status or my value came from my relationship status. Like, okay, you must be deemed desired because you have somebody that desires you or, you know, valuable because you have someone that values you. It took a lot of time for me to acknowledge that, like, that was handed to me. That was not my own. And that actually my value and my worth comes from me acknowledging that and and me giving that worth and love to myself first and foremost and forcing myself to stay single for a very long time after my divorce so that I can rewire my brain's architecture. So that's number one. Professionally, as a founder, how many times like did you see someone say, or even just watch like our parents or maybe our aunts and uncles complain and complain about their job and stay in those jobs. Nothing worse. Stay in those marriages, even though they talk horribly about it. Or we saw a dad or even a mom, but mostly in, in a heteronormative 1950s generalization, a dad who worked in so much and said the value of your, you know, manlyhood or your whatever comes from how much you provide, how much you work. And then you see like that, the, the child of him, like unable to enjoy the fruits of their labor today. Cause they're only focused on, well, I got to now work hard to get to the next thing that was handed to them. Most people like that are already super successful, but they cannot just sit in that success because it was handed to them that it's not enough. Independence is something. And when I listened to your episode, I resonated so much with your story about it subconsciously you're delivered on things. And for me, it was my like I've always been a very independent person and it comes from my parents so my mom is always like you need to be on your own do your own Mm -hmm. thing be able to support for yourself because that's how their relationship was and I've idolized my parents a lot but I have noticed myself being overly independent to the point where it could be a detriment and I, I want you to elaborate a little bit because I think throughout your journey, that's something that you've been on after your divorce. And I know you've talked openly about it. How do you balance that really independent masculine energy, as some would say that you have as being a CEO and being a founder? Because that's something that I 
resonate a lot with, with trying to be in a relationship and being with someone that is a partner and like wants to grow with you. Because I do think a lot of people say they want that independence, but then it is challenging. It has been for me trying to find someone and not losing yourself in a relationship. Okay. So I'm going to break that into a couple of different pieces because the losing yourself in a relationship might be a little different than how do you maintain your own, um, the, those boundaries, so to speak. But I, this resonates. This is a really good question because I actually still talk about this in therapy, like literally today. Um, I'm, I'm in a very new relationship. And I said, like, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm having like an allergic reaction to like merging anything. Right. Yeah. And so we talked through this. And for people who have been in, very toxic relationships because they hadn't done the work to understand what was drawing them to those, you know, obviously our subconscious picks people when we haven't identified our, our shadow self. Um, sometimes a healthy relationship feels also like too, too like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna lose myself in this. But first and foremost, I would say getting really, really, curious about your attachment style, number one. And the more that you can create vocabulary for how you show up in a relationship allows you a starting place to say, here are my needs. And so for someone who is very independent, like you and I have worked so hard to be, what that shows up in is when I lose myself in a relationship, that's because I haven't worked through that like need to be loved because if I have a weak boundary, for example, if I'm, if I'm like, I need space or I want to go to this event by myself, or I need to like, you know, go on a girl's trip or whatever it is. If I don't set that boundary because I'm scared of what the other person will think of me, that is work on me. Because I have to set that boundary because I know what I need in a relationship. And if that if it hurts the other person's feelings, that's for them to work through, right? And, and so it's a lot of healthy communication. But in order to communicate those things, you have to have the vocabulary to do so. And then another part of it is finding someone who you want to build with and who understands you as an independent person and isn't going to take your independence as a poor reflection of them and them not being, you know, wanted, needed, et cetera. Um, and I, like, for me, the reframing has been, I don't need anyone. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I don't. And we should all say that, like, we don't need anyone get to a place where you don't but you want them. And when you meet somebody who you're excited for them to be around, or you're excited to tell them about your work and they support you. And you see that like together, you feel like you have a sounding board. That's the, like what I now gravitate towards because I'm like, okay. And I'm comfortable giving a healthy boundary and saying, here are the things I need. So I don't lose myself in this relationship. It's, a hard balance and yeah. it's so 
when you when I talk to people like you, I resonate a lot with your story because I think I've always wanted to build something on my own and build a business and be at the top. And my question to do is how do you balance it all? You're a founder of a successful company. Now you're freshly in a new relationship and you have three kids. What pieces of advice would you give? I know you talk a lot and enjoy giving advice to young female entrepreneurs because I do think it it's really challenging and I'm not in a relationship, but that's something that I think about all the time is like when you're really, when your heart and soul is in a business, how do you balance it? I mean, with three kids, I, I can only imagine. So there are different seasons of life, yeah. right? And there are seasons in a day even because every day I wake up and I have very clear intentions of what that day is. It's usually based on my energy levels, my, you know, what's needed from me in the business and for my kids, et cetera. But like just acknowledging one, you cannot do all at once. And two, there is a need for transition time that I think women don't talk about. Um, so I cannot be in my masculine energy as a CEO, you know, negotiating with suppliers and whatever, and then literally turn and go snuggle my four-year-olds and play Legos. For me, that is a fucking impossible task. And if I go try to play Legos, I will be agitated. I won't be present and that is not good for anyone. So I have structured my days very intently to say, this is a work first day. I am in work mode and these other things get kind of piecemealed in. And it's okay if my kids watch a movie that night while I finish up this deck. Then there are days that I wake up and say, this is a mom day. And I put my phone on silent and I don't look at emails and I'm not trying to multitask because at the end of the day, it's about quality over quantity, even in the work day. Like for me, Mm -hmm. I can get eight hours of work done in three hours when I focus and I hit my flow state. People now in this world where it's outcomes over output, we're not sitting in factories making widgets for Ford Motor Company, we're doing very subjective work. You can get your work done when you hit flow state very quickly. So I optimize my day around my cortisol levels, my energy levels. Like for me, my mornings are blocked. No one touches my mornings because that's when I produce. Like that's when I think, I write, I create. Meetings happen in the afternoons. By three o'clock, I'm done. And that's when I get to go to the gym because my cortisol levels hit a huge low. And that's usually when we want to reach for a thing of caffeine or sugar or whatever. And if you do that, that's going to fuck up your sleep cycle. But if you go to the gym, when your cortisol levels crash, you get natural and uh, adrenaline, serotonin, et cetera. Um, And then I come back, I get a little bit more work done, usually just email inbox, nothing super, super like creative. And then I'm done working by like five, five 30. And now I have all night for myself and my kids. And I think the number one thing we all struggle with as women is guilt and say, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. And like, we, we all joke, like we say, we're shooting all over ourselves. 
but like, we're the only person saying that to ourselves. Yep. Right. And so it's, it's, it's changing the self speak to say today I'm working for this long. I'm accomplishing these things. Then I'm setting time for this thing, which may be taking care of yourself. It may be going out partying with your friends, like whatever the thing is that you know you need to maintain that level of kind of equilibrium. Because if you go in one direction too long, which this has happened to me because I love what I do, but I let the season of of sprinting go too long. No one would ever say, hey, go sprint a marathon. You would literally not make it past mile two. And so starting a company, your career is a marathon. And so if you are sprinting every day, you will not finish the race. And so for me, I I was a marathon runner. And so I have that like thought process in my head of like, okay, it's a water break. Like going to the gym to me is like, I get a goo and I go on a water break. Like that's the only way I know I will finish this race as being a founder. Yeah, I'm uh, actually training for half marathon right now. So I definitely understand. And I think it's knowing yourself. And that's why I get so passionate about entrepreneurship, because I think in the corporate world, it's nine to five, when in reality, it's like, I could get my work done from seven to two and just hammer it out because I am self-aware enough to know when I'm most productive. And I think that's kind of goes back to your initial thing of what you admired most about your dad, about autonomy. And I think it's one of the most important things that I wish more corporate cultures developed because I think there would be a lot more output if you allowed people and gave them that autonomy. And I want you to touch a little bit on how you measure. I know you said it's impact and effort is how you measure things, which I think is super important. And touch on how you guide your team and lead them based off of those two things? Yeah. So everything we do ladders up to OKR. So objective key results. So an objective may be, you know, build the House of Wise brand. Well, that is such like a very like blurry thing and you don't know how you measure that. And so we break that into KRs, key results. Those are quantitative things, has nothing to do with the like strategy of how you're going to do it. It's just how do you define success? And so that might mean 12 top tier media placements a month, right? That just for example, right? It may mean, I'm just throwing out numbers, like 50,000 social media impressions, like because brand growth comes from eyeballs and eyeballs come from these quantitative measurements. Okay, cool. So we've set, set aside OKRs. We now know what we're working towards or what success looks like. The next layer then is the, how the fuck do you do it? And that is a process of trial and error, but also impact and effort. And so I think a lot of founders get into a habit of shiny object chasing with no clear strategy. And then those definitions of success. So it's like, oh, this person wants to do a partnership. Yes, we'll do it. This person wants to do a partnership. Yes, we'll do it. And then they're not actually stopping, seeing that through, making sure that they get squeeze all the juice out of that partnership lemon to say, was it successful? And so impact and effort is just like, if I had a whiteboard behind me, I would literally just draw the X axis, Y axis and say, you know, 
does this thing have high impact, low effort? We will always do that. Meaning high impact, you can say there's a, a tool called t-shirt sizing. Impact meaning small, medium, of or large of hitting your KRs, your goals. So if you think that you can t-shirt size the level of impact of this thing to be around like medium to large impact, meaning it gets us pretty close to our goal or it makes a significant headway and it takes low effort, you're always doing that quadrant, okay? If it's high effort, low impact, you're never doing that. Meaning, oh, they're going to need dev support and eight emails and this. And then you're like, well, how many eyeballs will you get from theirs? Okay, well, they have an email open rate of 10% to an email list of 8,000. And then this is their click-through rate. And you do the numbers and you're like, eight people are going to potentially get to our PDP, right? Like, Not worth it. No, but some people are really, really nervous to ask those number questions for partnerships. They're like, what's your email list size? What's your click-through rate? What's your conversion rate? You know your conversion rate. But like t-shirt size that and say, are we doing, taking everybody off of everything that they're working for, for potentially eight conversions, right? And then you're like, no. Then where it gets tricky is that middle ground where it's like, you know, medium impact, medium effort. But uh, if you use kind of these frameworks, you quickly say like, is this thing worth it? Yeah. Which is, that's an interesting, I like the analogy that you use there because I think a lot of times we're just some people throw stuff at a wall. And I think it's important if you're trying a lot of things, but also measuring why are you going to put in 10 hours of work if the output's only going to be an hour or 10 customers. It just it just doesn't make logical sense. And what are some of the, I want you to give one person on one professional, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself from entrepreneurship, both personally and professionally, whether that's something maybe negative or not negative, but something about yourself that you didn't recognize that now you're trying to course correct um, and also professionally as well? Mm, this is really good. I feel my brain is like spinning on a, like a lot of things. The first one personally that comes to mind and I, so I'm a very, very maternal, emotional being, but not in business. I am the most like direct to the point. I don't have time for like the nice, like niceties, like how's the weather? I'm so fucking like efficient when it comes to work. And I think I I had, I've learned that it's okay that my kind of warmth and all that other stuff happens in other ways because people know that it, like my my employees know me outside of the meetings and it's important to also for me like have that bonding time outside of just like we're doing work right now because it does sometimes catch people off guard uh when i'm like just like very very like in my masculine and in my like very directness and aggressiveness because I lean into my feminine probably 70% of the time. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of a personal 
and professional wrapped into one. Um, and then the other thing that I've learned about myself. So I'm a starter, not a finisher. And I think people sometimes confuse that terminology as I don't care about the details. But what happens is I am paralyzed in the details. When you tell me I now have to go do like see something in and into project management and then like like you've lost me, it will take me 8000 hours. If you tell me to go create a new brand campaign, an idea, something that is like I have full green pasture to come up with something, I'll do it in an hour because I'm I'm invigorated. And I've taken a lot of um, leadership personality courses and, and tests. And in that starter finisher mentality is actually good in recognizing who to surround yourself with, right? Because um, my team is mostly finishers because I will have ideas. Obviously, we have frameworks to know if they're good or not, but like in the X, I'll take it to like the maybe 80, wait, it's not called the 80 yard line in football, whatever the 30 yard line or whatever. The 20 yard line, the 10 yard line, the almost yeah, yeah, line. closer to the end zone, but I need <laughs> someone to carry it over the like, whatever touchdown Yeah, um, sports. But I think that there's a lot of misconception around Things that are characteristics that you should know about yourself that are deemed sometimes negative for another, I'll give another example. I took a test um, at the knot with our leadership team and it was a personal needs assessment in your lead in, in your work environment. So personal needs may be something like you have a high need for success. You have to see the number hit the thing. Another personal need might be, um, I'll, I'll give mine. My highest personal need was attention. And so for managing me, I was like, oh my God, I sound like a fucking narcissist, like attention. And the coach that was leading this, this thing was like, no, 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 no. None of these are negative. It means that you feel valued when someone goes, Amanda, that was an awesome idea. And they acknowledge that the idea came from you. And I was like, huh, that does kind of make me feel good. And when someone like gives me like the ability to speak in a meeting or whatever, but we have all these negative connotations to things that are not negative. And so we shy away from, and we try to take on things that are not actually our skill set, where we flow um, and how we feel valued because we're, we're scared of what that may say about us. When in reality, it's just helping communicate and helping people manage you better, um, be like report to you better. Like my team, we do these things together. We even do astrology stuff together. Ooh. All of these tools are ways to communicate what you need and how you feel loved and needed and valued so that you can be in, set up for success. It's an affirmation. And I think when you're trying to build a business, the only way to be super successful is being self-aware. And I had someone on, she said it's a personal development journey. And I thought it was the most genius two-liner ever because it really is true when you know yourself and you know how you operate, then you're going to be the most successful because you're putting the right people. And I'm sure you've read Gina Wickman's books, but his is like a four 
a sequence of four books was the entrepreneurial leap. And he's basically saying hire for what you're not good at. And that's when things are going to grow. And that's exactly what you're alluding to. And I think some people I'm extremely assertive and direct. I think it's the Midwest in us. But when I came down to Texas and I'm sure Miami is similar, the number of times I get called aggressive and I was like, I'm not being aggressive. I'm just being direct. Like no is no. Yes is yes. This is what we need to do. And I used to apologize for it, but I've, as I've gotten older, I'm like, I'm not going to apologize. I'm trying to get a point across to get to the next thing. We don't have all, you know, there's only a limited amount of time. So I definitely resonate a lot with that. And I think it's something that's super important and interesting that that's what you're doing with your team too. And really understanding your leadership style, you're just taking that self-development to the next level. And I do want to be respectful of your time. So I want you to pimp yourself out. Where can all of our listeners find you? Instagram handle. I'm going to put everything in the notes, but sell yourself. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. (laughs) Women should get used to doing this. Like it feels uncomfortable, but we all need to do it. So I, I share more of the behind the scenes of motherhood and building on Instagram. So at gets AM, I share the building in public of like, how do I think through marketing plans and content strategy? I share that on, on Twitter. And so that's Amanda M gets, but if you're interested in, in trying house of wise, definitely we have a very interesting distribution strategy. We are D to C, but we have over a thousand wise women who sell the products. It's not an MLM. It's a micro affiliate strategy, but we have the CBD and cannabis has so many hurdles to jump through. Just got another email today saying Stripe shut something down. Like there are so many hurdles. So if you know someone or, or, you know, Think of a partnership opportunity that we should evaluate in our impact versus effort. Uh, Or if you know somebody that is a creator that would be interested in trying our products, that's how we distribute. We are working with hopefully female creators who are, um, you know, we're trying to transfer all that Google, Facebook, CAC money and giving it back to women. Because at the end of the day, women are the ones that build brands. They're the ones evangelizing products. So we don't use Google or Facebook. We transfer all of that VC money to the women that are helping us build the brand. I am one of them and I do have a code and everything that I'll put in the notes for all of you out there listening. I just got the stress gummies because that is definitely the one I need to target first. And then the last question that I have for you is, Amanda, what are you grateful for today? Today, I am grateful for therapy. I had therapy this morning. It was a good little cry session. Um, And I'm thankful for being a mom. Like, I I think we talk a lot about how hard motherhood is, but I've been reminded recently what it's brought into my life from a perspective changer, meaning on those really, really hard days at work, if I hold my kid, I'm like, I'm good. Like it just changes the the magnitude of that no that you got or you know this thing that went wrong. All of a sudden it's like life is life is bigger than this. And so I I I love sometimes zooming all the way out and having that like 50,000 foot view of life and reminding yourself like that the micro isn't changing and going to affect you that greatly. Very powerful. I just had that conversation with a coworker earlier today. I said, when it all boils down, there's, 
really only a few things. And that's actually what I'm grateful for is my family. I have not gone home and seen them in a few months. So I'm super grateful to just go back home see my parents and all of that. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are incredible. I loved this conversation. So thank you so much. And I'm sorry, we're a little bit over, but it's all good. It's okay. all good. Thank I was you like, so much. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you and be like, you're over time. So, but no, I am so wordy and talkative. I could talk for hours. So yeah, no, yeah, you're awesome. Good. I'll definitely have you back on and I did sign up for it. So I'll put everything in my uh, list of notes and all of that. But thank you so much for being on. It was great meeting you. Thank you. So good to meet you. Let's stay in touch. Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.